to Attenuation, a weekly podcast where two friends come together to drink beer, discuss beer styles and trends, and just generally ruminate on the meaning of life, aka beer. If you enjoy your time with us, we invite you to become a weekly listener and subscribe to the podcast. Without further ado, here is this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to episode five of Attenuation, a beard podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm joined with my best friend, Stephen, from eighth grade. Hello. <laughs> it's your trademark entrance now. You know yeah. that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this week's episode, we are going to focus in on a style beer, give you a little bit of history about the beer, and then talk about some modern interpretations we've been drinking. So for pronunciation purposes, I'm going to turn this over to my co-host, Stephen, to introduce the beer of the week. Because <laughs> You're going to make me that. sound like an idiot. Thanks, No, man. you're going to sound good. Well, okay, so I've been um, listening to the uh, Google pronunciation of this word over and over and over again. But the American style, uh, you know, the American pronunciation would be Kolsch. But if you were German, you'd probably say something like Kulsch. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, sounded, all you Germans listening. It sounded professional. Thanks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Kolsch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you say Kolsch, I'll say Kulsch. All right, perfect. Sounds good. Let's we'll see if we can annoy the crap out of our listeners. <laughs> um, so for our tasting, we actually both picked Kolsch's. So I am going to introduce mine, and then in lieu of actually giving you tasting notes, we thought we kind of spread it out over the history and discussing the style. But for reference, I am drinking Almanac Beer Co's, and that's they're out of San Francisco, California, and this is the beer they make called True Kolsch, and this is 5% ABV, and it says on the can that it will be bright, refreshing, and crisp. Nice. Now, they used to be all sour Brewer, oh, right? is that true? I think you're right. And then they're like starting to make other styles because um, people want other styles. <laughs> you know what? I think you're right because I remember I've always liked Almanac for some of the sours they do, and I remember I think I saw that they made a hazy IPA, and I did like a double take, and I was like, "What? Yeah, they make yeah. an IPA?" And it was good too. Have yeah, you had it, it was good. I have had it. Yeah, and it is good. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so they're really branching out. So that's so, cool. Yeah, that's a good one. So it's, did you also pick a Kolsch for the tonight? I did. So I feel like I got super authentic because <laughs> we have we are very lucky um, in Fredericksburg, Texas, which is just outside of Austin. Um, it's actually kind of our wine country. So there's tons of wineries out there. Um, it's like Texas is Napa, basically. Um, but in the little town of Fredericksburg, um there's this Allstat brewing they actually won uh it was like number four on the top brewers in the world uh, the u.s on the u.s open beer championship in 2019 so it was number four so like it's really really cool brewer but there you brew all german styles that's it only german styles of beer oh, um, they try to be super authentic to um to the way those are made so anyway, this is the Kolsch from Allstadt Brewing. So it should be very, very true to style. And this one says it should be exceptionally smooth, refreshing, and balanced. 
Nice. And what's the uh, ABV on yours? Ooh, good question. 4.8. Okay. So, yeah, we're about the exact same. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to pop our cans. <laughs> now, right away, I've learned something about Kolsch, and that it's supposed to be served in a special kind of glass. And I'm, it's eluding me what it's called. Do you happen to know? Uh, yeah, I'm going to throw some German at you again. <laughs> Stinga glass. Oh, okay, perfect. So it's supposed to be about six ounces, and it's very tall and thin. And from what I understand, this is for a couple of reasons. One, it's to preserve the carbonation in the beer. And two, it's they want it to be the right temperature. So rather than serving you a large amount, a lot of times sometimes you see these massive beer steins, they worry about, you know, the temperature warming up over time. They'd rather serve you small amounts, kind of in rapid succession, so you're always tasting the beer in what they consider the ideal conditions. So I don't have one of those glasses, but I, <laughs> I did get... I have my little beer tasting glass, so I don't know how many ounces it is, but it's tall and thin. So I will be trying to recreate the authentic experience here in my uh, office today. Nice. Yeah, I tried to pick... Um like the most straight cylindrical glass that I have. Um, it's not quite as um, like small as the Stunga glass, um, but tried to recreate the, the true the true way to drink this. But I'm sure it doesn't make that much of a difference. <laughs> <laughs> it's tradition, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> um, just so that we're not like... We have we don't go full beer snob, okay? <laughs> We're gonna drink it out of the correct glass. <laughs> I'm importing one from Germany today. Um, speaking of tradition, how, like where did this beer get started? Where did this beer come from? Teach me and the listeners about this style. <laughs> so, I mentioned um, last week. I kind of went off on a little tangent about the different. Uh, yeast and the different way to ferment beers um, and the difference between ales and uh, lagers. And so um, it's really interesting in 16th century uh, Germany in the, uh, the state of Bavaria they passed a law called the Reinheitsgebot and it was a German purity law it also kind of regulated the like how much you could charge for a beer, but also sort of hidden in all of the like rules about how much you could charge um, was basically what ingredients you could use to make the beer. And the limitation was water, barley, hops. They didn't even mention yeast um, <laughs> technically. They just sort of like it was like almost as if that was a given. Of course there's yeast um but they also limited it to um to top fermenting yeast so they only wanted ales brewed and uh they only wanted you to use water barley and hops apparently um this is a lot of discussion about like exactly you know the motive behind it um but mainly they said they just didn't want to compete with the bakers for wheat and rye. So they wanted to leave wheat and rye for the bakers to make their bread and um, barley for beer. So. Oh, that's interesting. 
Um, and then there's other like side reasons, like religious reasons, like making it super pure and not using like weird like witchcrafty <laughs> um, ingredients or ingredients they considered witchcrafty, whatever. So, um, and it was just all about being very pure and um, and only using barley. Uh, there was a lot of like it's kind of funny because when I think of German styles. Um, for me, a lot of wheat styles come in my head, like Hefeweizen and goes, you know, their wheat sours and stuff. Um, but apparently those were all, well, some exceptions were made for those beers being brewed because they were, um, they were like isolated to very, very small geographical locations. Um, that goes as a, as a example of that. Um, and, and then just, uh, just, yeah, just geographically, those styles came from other areas um, of Germany, but but um, but at least around the Bavarian area, uh, they they followed the Weinhatzgebot. So it's kind of interesting because even now, I mean, our I feel like the craft beer history is obviously a lot shorter than German beer history, but it's kind of what we talk about now that like if you want to get a certain style of beer, you have to live in a certain region of the U.S. to get access to it. Yeah. And part of that is because, you know, shipping and distribution and stuff like that. But it's kind of interesting that, you know, we have like almost we almost have like different regions of beer in the U.S., but just based on yeah. like where the brewers are. Exactly. Yeah. And like a lot of um, uh, especially like styles around Europe, um, it, it all had to do with like water quality mm. or what kind of, you know, or what, what your water, what water you were working with, you know, um, like water that they initially brewed goes with it just was a higher salinity and that's why it, it was a salty beer um the only reason guinness is like that's it was made in ireland like that's because they that's the kind of beer they could make with the water you know okay that that's why that style came out of that area um it wasn't like they just decided they liked that style that was just the best beer to make with the water that they had so um uh so anyway Getting back to the Kolsch, um, in uh, the area of Cologne, Germany, bottom fermenting styles were becoming very popular. People really liked the Pilsners um, because they were very crisp and clean. Um, and I don't know whether they were like, I think maybe you did some research on uh, technology, like they were able to brew at a lower temperature. Oh, yeah. So a couple things. I I was kind of researching. I kind of got lost in a little bit of a rabbit hole. I <laughs> just of like about Pilsner. So I don't know if it's specific to Kolsch, but they did say like in the 1840s, they invented the in indirect heat kiln. So they were able to better control like toasting, basically. So you could get like uh, you could get lighter, uh, lighter application of heat when you're um, Toasting the grain, basically. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. But nothing in terms of, like, keeping the beer cold, like, at a colder temperature. So, yeah, actually, I don't know how they did that. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, anyway, these styles of bottom-fermenting yeast at you know, with cold lagered for a long period of time, um, it just creates a very crisp, clean beer. The most reason, the, the biggest reason for that is that you... Don't allow the yeast to um, create a sterification of the alcohol. Um, a sterification just means you, you, it's just a 
a chemical reaction that happens to different alcohols, the main alcohol in beer being ethanol, but there's other alcohols, um, and they can all uh, become esterified. Um, and those esters have very distinct flavors. So in, um, in a lot of ales, uh, the esters are giving off fruity flavors like um, pear in Hefeweizen. That's why it tastes like banana. That's that's all esters. Oh. Uh, but, you know, if you get, if the beer has too many esters in it, then that's when you, it starts to almost taste like, um, uh, you get like a gasoline kind of flavor. Like, um, that doesn't sound appealing. No, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's how you can tell sometimes that you you had too many too much esters, and that can happen by underpitching your yeast. So if you don't have enough yeast in the beer, so um, so a lot of like home brewers just try to pitch as much yeast as possible to make sure they're not under pitching. Um, but anyway, that, this is a lot of science about home brewing and and, and brewing beer in general. But um, uh, the main idea is that if you do not have these esters in your beer, it's very, very crisp, clear. There's no, like, overwhelming flavor coming in, um, which is kind of funny. <laughs> like, I guess, you know, I mean, macro styles are very popular, and that's, these, you know, the macro styles are Pilsnerism and uh, these very, very crisp, clear beers, and people like them. You know, yeah. they're refreshing, they're, you know, they're not complex, and they're very easy to drink. So I, I can see why they're popular. Yeah, it makes sense. It's it's appeals to the masses, and it's you know a lot of times in hobbies. I also drink. I'm also into scotch, so a, a little bit of a tangent. But early on, like whenever someone asks me about scotch or whiskey, a lot of times they say, "Oh, is it good? Is it really smooth?" Because that's a lot of people attribute like smoothness, like easiness to drink. That you know that's the mark of quality. Yeah. And sure. To a certain extent, that is the mark of quality. But I think what happens when you start to drink, it happens in craft beer too, I believe. You start on those, but then very quickly you start to get more interested in things being more complex and a little bit more challenging. Yeah. So because you're trying to understand like what's happening, different flavor profiles and like arriving and exiting you know, across the palate, not to get too beer snobby <laughs> with you guys, but, um, but yeah, but sometimes you don't want that. And that's kind of why I always make the analogy of like, if you just did yard work, I don't want to be challenged. I just yeah. want to come in the house and drink a cold, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. So it is funny that like, even whenever this was early 17th century here, you have like almost like a progenitor of the macro beer style yeah. ari arising. And it's just as popular back then as it is now. <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing is it's almost flipped. Like they were like fighting against the style. Like all these people were saying like, we like this. And they're like, no, that's not how we make beer. <laughs> that was my German. Uh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> this is not how we make beer. <laughs> You're going to have to cut. Um, <laughs> Um, and, uh, so they were like, like fighting back against this saying, we're going to make laws. So in Cologne, Germany, they made a law saying, or they had, they had all the brewers, they had to like swear an oath that they would only top ferment their beer. And so they were like, uh-huh, yeah, we'll do that. And then they're like, okay, we're going to top ferment the beer and then we're going to cold lager it <laughs> and keep it crisp. And we're going to call that Kolsch. So, 
So wait, is this an entire beer style about skirting rules? Yes, exactly. This is these are the rebels, man. This is, the, punk, this is punk rock, dude. I like finding this. the loopholes, man. <laughs> so Kolsch is the loophole style. Yeah, so it's kind of the hybrid. You know, they said, yeah, we'll top ferment, but uh, we want to make a pilsner-like style with top fermented, uh, top fermenting yeast. So it's kind of cool, and it like. It kind of becomes a, uh, a nice base for, and we'll talk about some of the modern styles that are being made um, in this style. Um, you know, you can kind of take this almost as like a lager base and do some other fun stuff with it, but incorporate maybe some of those ale flavors, those ester flavors, and not making it as crisp. You know, you can kind of hybridize the style. Yeah, that's really cool. So then another thing I actually did uh, came across in my research is Kolsch is a little bit like champagne. You can't actually call a beer Kolsch unless it's brewed in Cologne, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They they have it like geographically protected. I think with like the UN, even you know they have it's like a version of a copyright, basically. I mean, I don't necessarily think it's enforced. It's not enforced in the United States, actually. Right. I was gonna say because my almanac says yeah. it's called it's called True yeah. Kolsch, so maybe the true is modifying. The, yeah, but yeah. you will see um, if you. Um, if you're in a tap room and you see something and something says Kolsch style ale, uh, that's because technically that's what they should be putting. So just like, oh, okay. uh, just like you would see sparkling wine instead of champagne, which is what that you should be marking your, your, um, sparkling wine that you should be, uh, if it's not brewed in Champagne, France, uh, that's how you should label your, your Kolsch. It should be Kolsch style ale. So the funny thing, you just said that, and now I'm inspecting this can, and while it does say True Kolsch in huge font across the top, at the bottom, it says German Kolsch style ale. Dude, they're still finding loopholes. They're doing the yeah. worst loopholes now. This is, a loophole for, this is a loophole name of the loophole style. <laughs> it's a meta loophole. Oh, that's so great. But like they are, yeah, they looks like they did follow the rules. They said it's a German Kolsch style ale. So good job, Almanac. We won't we won't send our lawyers against you. Yeah, and and all that. Um, I was gonna say I I don't think it really says it doesn't say Cole style or anything like that because they're really really hell bent on making it exactly um, to tradition. So they actually have a whole write up on the side of the can about the style um, and how they originated from Cologne and uh, how the beer is supposed to be brewed and how it's supposed to taste. Um, and then it even has a whole thing about the Ryan Heiskabat um, purity laws. So uh, they're very much um, traditional. They, yeah, yeah. They they're committed to brewing these beers in the traditional style, um, which is is very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. They're kind of they're kind of saying like, hey, this is basically a real cold. Just be <laughs> brewed spreaders for Texas. That's pretty awesome. As close as you're gonna get outside of Germany. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, speaking of how a Kolsch tastes, are you ready to give our tasting notes? So, yeah. like, generally, what is a Kolsch supposed to be like? So, I understand it's supposed to be crisp. Um, I I know they're supposed to be like like, and even on the nose of this one, I get a lot of malt, and then a little bit of like that yeast ester. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. correct. And almost no hops. I don't really get any hops at all. Maybe the slightest amount. Yeah. What are you What are you getting on your nose? So I was going to mention, um, well, first the carbonation. So it is very highly carbonated. 
and it's super clear. I mean, this thing is like you put your hand on. You can almost probably read something through this. Um, it's so clear. Um, and then in terms of taste, like smell, definitely getting a little bit of esters, like just that, like almost like a Hefeweizen, but like like a, mm. almost like a super super subdued Hefeweizen. So the esters are very low, but they're they're there, which is interesting. Um, so it's almost like you you assume some esterification with the Kolsch style that you wouldn't want with uh, Pilsner, you know, because you're you are fermenting it like an ale. Right. Uh, so it's not it's not cold fermentation. The cold process is after, right? Yeah. So you're still getting the ale yeah. fermentation style. It's just, um, it's just very subdued. But yeah, and then drinking it. Um, I get a little bit of pear, a lot of honey. Yeah, no hops whatsoever. Like, I get no hop bitterness. Um, it's really just just a little bit of that yeasty esterification and then um, and then just a touch of honey and, and pear. Yeah, I would say for mine, very similar. Like, there's a definitely a initial sweetness in the beginning. And then the slightest, and then definitely those esters come in. And then a little bitterness on the finish, I would say. Um, but overall, it's insanely crisp. Like, yeah. it feels like I'm taking a bite out of an apple. It doesn't taste like apple, but I don't know. It's like, that's how crisp it is. And and, and then now that you mentioned the clarity, the, yeah, it's the transparency. Yeah, right. yeah, the transparency on this beer is insane. Like, it's actually kind of cool. And then the carbonation, there's just bubbles. I'm like, surprised by your, your sweetness in yours. Mine's super dry. Highly, you know what? It's highly attenuated. Oh, it's highly attenuated. <laughs> it is dry. You're right. It is dry. So I'm. Let me reassess. I'm very impressionable though. So you're gonna affect my. You're gonna affect my tasting notes. I'm just warning you. I mean, this is like as dry as champagne as I've ever had. Like it's just so dry. It is very dry. And so yeah, I'm getting the dryness on the entrance. But maybe it's in the aftertaste. I do get a little touch of kind of what you mentioned, like honey. Yeah. Maybe. Well, and we're drinking different beers, so. That's true. I will say, as far as giving this a thumbs up or a thumbs down, I really like this. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean. And this is this coming is... from the stout guy, so. <laughs> my, just, just a little side note, just to, for comic relief. My wife asked tonight, um, is Jason going to drink another stout? <laughs> That's what I like, man. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to stop listening to your podcast if he does stouts every week. Oh, geez. I'm going to have to mix it up. <laughs> so, anyway. All right. I won't drink another stout. No, well, I'm, I'm say, not drinking She didn't stout. say she was going to stop listening to podcasts. Okay, I okay. just made that up. But oh, she okay. Did want, she, she did say you should mix it up every once in a while. Okay, I'll, I'll try to branch out. But, so, and case in point, to, you know, I always like to say every situation has the right beer to drink. You don't have to drink a stout, and you don't always have to drink a beer that's complex. This is very refreshing. Yeah. It lives up to the can when it says bright, refreshing, and crisp. Hey, um, St. Arnold Brewing in Houston, we've mentioned them before. They have a Kolsch, and you know what it's called? Lawnmower. Oh. Did we try that together? I think we have drink. Yeah, I think we did drink that together. But, I think that was really good. But Yeah, so it's their Kolsch. Uh, and it's a perfect lawnmower beer, so they need a lawnmower. Yeah, that's a perfect tie-in. It's like, yeah, drink it after you do yard work. And I think it's, I mean, 
you know, we did an episode on gateway beers. This is a good, this is kind of a good gateway beer. And, you know, for someone who, who drinks um, Coors Light or, you know, or one of the macro pilsners um, and says, hey, let me try something new or, or you know, try some, something that's considered craft beer. This is a great style because it's going to give you a lot of what those macros give you, but it's also going to push you a little bit towards the ales. So in some of the flavors, so yeah, I could definitely see that. This should have, yeah, this is a great recommendation. We'll have to do Gateway Beers episode two. And so thank you to those rule breakers or those rule benders. We should yeah, all because they <laughs> they wanted to find a loophole. <laughs> so now, um, are there some modern versions of this that? Uh... Well, so uh, throughout the week, because we knew we were going to do this deep dive into Kolsch, um, I threw myself wholeheartedly into the research which was really just drinking as many cultures as I could find. <laughs> so you're nice. welcome. A lot of, it sounds like hard work. <laughs> um, very, very rigorous research. Okay. Uh, so I wanted to talk about two of them that I drank, which were very, very interesting. So the first one, it's from Rar and Sons, which is, in, which is a Texas brewer. Um, they, they have this... Uh, I can't remember that I should have written it down. I can't, I'm horrible. But anyway, it's a mango chili Kolsch. Now, from the name of the beer, that is not uh, assumed. Like, it doesn't, it didn't say that in the title of the beer name. And I was just at a restaurant and I was, you know, like, oh, a Kolsch. Let me get that because um, I'm researching Kolsches this week. Uh, so anyway, I drank it and I was like, man. There's like this burn in my throat. <laughs> oh, like what am I? What is this? And so I was like, I need to look this up. What is in this beer? Because I don't, I don't know why I'm tasting this burn. Uh, and then I realized, oh, it's a mango chili Kolsch. Gotcha. Um, so it's kind of a little segue from uh, our episode last week when we talked about uh, some of the trends with brewing with chilies in our beer and, and having some of that spice. So. This was, in fact, a Kolsch that they had um, brewed with mangoes and chilies. Uh, it was good. Um, I think it's uh, a good um, sort of example of how you could take the Kolsch backbone and just do some fun stuff with it. Um, and maybe, do, ma- do mangoes and chilies adhere to the German purity laws? <laughs> um, yeah, mango, chilies, and uh, oatmeal pies are all good. <laughs> Are you going to come out with an oatmeal pie Kolsch? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Be sure to add a lot of lactose and marshmallow. <laughs> and serve it with marshmallows in it. Yes, that sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah, the Germans are going <laughs> to be so happy with me. Uh, <laughs> all those Reinheitsgebot riders are going <laughs> to crawl out of their grave. They're going to get you. Yeah. Yeah, so... That was a great, it, it was just a, a cool, um, a cool example of the style, using the style uh, to make beer. Um, and really, I mean, it, if you want to just say, hey, I, I made a Kolsch to control the esters, right? Like, I didn't want any, I didn't, I wanted minimal ester flavors, so I made it like a Kolsch and added these other things or whatever, made the beer. Um, so they just brewed a beer and basically controlled the, the amount of esters in the beer. And then uh, we were in the Dallas area this last weekend. And before we left, we wanted to find some sort of... We wanted to stop at a brewery. 
Um, and we kind of like tried to find one that had food as well. And so we found this one called Cowtown Brewing. Um, we had never heard of it. I had never heard of it. Um, but they had barbecue um, and their beer. And so I was like, oh, let's try this place. Um, I just wanted, first of all, say like just a shout out to them because they were awesome. Like service was great. The food was good. And the beers were great. I mean, I ordered a Kolsch. It was in the Stunga glass. Like, they served it exactly how it was supposed to be served. Authentic. Uh, nice. Yeah, it was super true to style, I thought. Um, I, I thought that um, it was actually pretty estuary, I will say. Like, okay. My, basically, my t- tasting notes on it were, this is a Hefeweizen, but not. You know, like, I could, it was like a subdued Hefeweizen. Like, that was my, if I had to simplify it into, into a few words... That would be how I would taste it. So, like, banana and cloves, but super, super subdued and super crisp. And, and uh, so I think they did a great job with this style. I also drank a sour there that they just absolutely nailed. Um, yeah, they just did a great job. So, anyway, a little shout-out to a, they're up in Fort Worth, Texas. If you're ever there, check out Cowtown Brewery because um, they did a great job. Nice. That's awesome. So what I'm hearing is that the Kolsch style is alive and well. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, year 2021 <laughs> yeah it's kind of funny it's like when you buy a car or you're you're looking at buying a certain type of car and all of a sudden you see that type of car everywhere you know yes um as throughout the week as i kind of looked for coach i started to find them everywhere which is cool yeah that's really awesome so i unfortunately didn't get to try any other cultures other than this true culture from almanac but like you said, I, I think I'll keep my eyes open. I know there's, and I know like if you go to, well, I don't know what your equivalent is, but Total Wine here in California, if you go to the import section, they have a bunch of, you know, beers they imported from Germany. And I know there's a couple styles of either Kolsch style ales or pretty famous ones and or, um, you know, actual Kolsch's. So maybe I'll have to pick an assortment of those and do a side-by-side tasting someday. But overall, I will say I'm a fan of the style and I feel like I understand it a little bit better now today. Yeah, totally. This was fun, actually. Yeah, and I especially liked, you know, pairing, diving into the style and also drinking the style at the same time. So we'll yeah. have to do this again where we pick another style and then we both get a beer of that style and we kind of give a little history, give some tasting notes and talk about modern interpretations of it. Yeah, this might like be one of my favorite things you've done. I, I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but... I just love side-by-side tastings, um, getting flights, you know, just like being able to taste things side-by-side is the only way you can really differentiate or start to differentiate flavors and really develop your palate. Um, So just walking into one style and trying a bunch of beers of that style is just so cool. Yeah. Anyone out there listening, especially trying to get into craft beer, just do this. Do that. Pick something and just try a bunch of them. And um, honestly, you're going to probably start liking them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's how it was for me. Once I start trying stuff, especially trying new things, and it's just so easy to develop your palate when you just dive in. Yeah, that's awesome. And then finally, so in lieu of beer news, because I couldn't find any interesting beer news this week. After scouring the internet. It's a slow beer news week? It's a slow beer news week. You know, oh, craft man. craft beer news is not, you know, 
it's not the hottest commodity. So. <laughs> there's not a lot of national beer news, right? Yeah, like, exactly. There's probably local beer news, but nothing that appeals to the masses. But Yeah, so no news, except we have personal news. Stephen and I in May will be traveling to Seattle on a beer journey. We get to see each other in person. Yes. Live, which I'm so excited about. Yeah, it'll be awesome. And we're going to visit some awesome breweries. Yeah, I think we're going to try to hit up Rubens, Fremont, Balebreaker, and yeah. maybe Stoop. Yeah, Stoop. Uh, there's Urban Family there, I think, which is, uh, they make a lot of good sours. So we have a lot of options and a lot of good places to do some hiking, too, probably. Yes, our two if favorite. If we want to break from the beer. So our tradition on, we have a history and a tradition of going on beer tasting, brewery visits, combined with hikes, because we like hiking as well. And we did this one year. <laughs> Do you remember? We went yeah, to... I remember. <laughs> okay. First off, can I, uh, can I just give a little background? So that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. lead us into the story before I embarrass you. Okay. First of all, my fellow podcaster here. <laughs> he had mentioned earlier he likes scotch okay this guy drinks like he's, he was used to drinking okay drinking high <laughs> alcohol um drinks and beers he liked his barrel aged stouts okay <laughs> me i was more of a four percent goza guy okay going into our first year at the great american beer festival at elevation i should say you know denver it's really high up there thin air okay uh we were drinking a lot at the beer festival, and I just wasn't really used to it. Okay, okay, that's my background. Okay, go ahead. You can finish the story now. <laughs> well, and it's not even your fault, really. So we found this really cool hike. We did some research, and it was this old fire lookout. It and to be honest, it was totally worth it. It was this amazing view. But I'm we so had glad. <laughs> <laughs> so spoiler alert: Stephen didn't make it. No. So we had to. First of all, we had to drive. And I, you know, we didn't pick this up from Google Maps, but it was like an hour drive to get to the trailhead. But like 20 minutes of that was basically like off road. Yeah, it was so, like three miles, but it was like the longest three miles. Ever. Yeah, because we're in a rental car and I didn't want to damage it. So I'm going like three miles per hour. And meanwhile, <laughs> Steven's like desperately and horribly hungover. So he's just greatly suffering in this car ride. I felt <laughs> so bad. But he's like, I'm like, should we just go home? Should we just go home? He's like, no, let's just try. Let's just try. So we get to the trailhead and he's like, I'm going to do it. We're going to hike. So we go. <laughs> so never try to hike at elevation up like, and it was a pretty good gain. I feel like it was like a two or 3,000 foot elevation gain on the hike. It was oh, short. I think, the, I think the fire lookout was at like 14,000 feet. Yeah. So we were. I mean, I don't know where we started, but. And there was, yeah, and we were definitely gaining. Like, that trail was straight up, basically. Yeah. And you just died, like, a quarter of a mile in, and I felt so bad. I was going to go, but you you told me to press on. So. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't care. So we I should just have... sat there and threw up. <laughs> <laughs> so we should, but that hike was really cool, and the fire lookout was amazing. So I think we need to do, like, revenge of that hike. Yeah, and should, next time we go, maybe we'll go back there, and we'll make sure we get a. We all have to get a car that's like an SUV, so we can yeah. actually drive. <laughs> so anyway, Stephen was a big trooper, and then he had to uh, endure the three miles back on basically off road. Yeah, I don't pool. remember it. I think I slept. 
Yeah, I think he passed out at that point. So, yeah. so anyways. But hey, also, <laughs> side note, I rallied, and uh, we went to the beer festival. Yeah, you went, you went day two. You rallied and made it. So. I did not drink as much that time. No, but. we faced ourselves. So that, by the way, we, we need to record that episode soon, but we'll have to do... Um, beer going to a beer festival tips and tricks because yeah we learned a lot another thing that was absent that first year that we had the second year was the pretzel necklace which is critical 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 yes but the reason i bring that up is yeah so we'll be (laughs) going to seattle and hopefully (laughs) we'll be doing a hike but um there will be shenanigans yeah hopefully we won't be too hungover uh yeah, no, I think we both, well, okay, I, I have to speak for you, but I can definitely handle a little bit more alcohol now, and I also have a little bit more self-awareness. Yes. And we won't be at 14,000 feet, hopefully. Yes, that'll definitely help. So, we'll, yeah, so we'll be going on that trip, and then we will be, maybe we'll record an episode in Seattle, that'd be kind of fun. Um, yeah, that'd be cool, or just even when we get back, just record a, a like, sort of report back, because it's going to be awesome. Uh, we're going to have so many beers to talk about. Yeah, one way, or one way or another, we'll do a check-in on the trip, so that'll be fun. Yeah. Some good content, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, I don't have anything else to add. Do we have anything to add to this episode of the deep dive into Kolsch? Yeah, no, just, uh, drink, just drink more Kolsch's. Yes, I agree. I really like Dude, this. I think this is a cool style. I agree, and I like its history. I like that it's, a, it's very punk rock. Yeah. <laughs> it's a rule-skirting beer. Yeah, I like it. All right. Well, cheers, Stephen. Um, this has been episode five. Is this five? We're on five? Five. I know. Nice. It. I know. Episode five of Attenuation, of beer podcast. And we will be back next week. My name is Jason, and I'm joined from uh, with my best friend from eighth grade, Stephen. That's maybe, me. That, maybe you're supposed to say your name. Hello. <laughs> and we will see you next time. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Attenuation, a beer podcast. Don't forget to hit that subscribe or follow button, and we'll catch you next week. Cheers.